Welcome to FPC Meridian Sermon Podcast. In this sermon, our head pastor, Dr. Rhett Payne, studies the book of Romans. We pray that God's hand would be upon you as you listen to the faithful preaching of his word. Let's begin. You'll take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 6. We'll start reading at verse 15. We studied through verses 14, through verse 14 last uh, week. And so this week is part 12 in the series, Slaves of Christ. My sources include Stuart Alliott's book, The Gospel as It Really Is. It's a commentary on Romans from the Wellwind commentary series. R.C. Sproul, The Righteous Shall Live by Faith from uh, his uh, series on Romans. John R.W. Stott, Men Made New, which is a commentary from Romans 5 through 8. And then Kent Hughes' commentary, Romans Righteousness from Heaven. We're in Romans 6, starting at verse 15. This is the word of God. What then shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that you that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, this is chapter 7, verse 1, do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you for this, your word. Help us, Lord, to understand this word, to apply this word to our lives. Give us grace, Lord, in our lives as Christians in this world. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. 
Frederick Douglass grew up as a slave in Maryland in the early 19th century and experienced slavery's every brutality. He was taken from his mother when he was only an infant. For years as a child, all he had to eat was runny cornmeal dumped in a trough that kids fought to scoop out with oyster shells. He worked in the hot fields from from before sunup until after sundown. He was whipped many times with a cowhide whip until blood ran down his back, kicked and beaten by his master until he almost died and attacked with a spike by a gang of whites. But even so, when Frederick Douglass considered trying to escape to freedom, he struggled with the decision. In his book, The Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, an American Slave, he wrote that he had two great fears. The first was leaving behind his friends. Here's what he said. I had a number of warm-hearted friends in Baltimore, friends that I loved almost as I did my life, and the thought of being separated from them forever was painful beyond expression. It is my opinion that thousands would escape from slavery who now remain but for the strong cords of affection that bind them to their friends. His second fear was this. He said, quote, If I failed in this attempt, my case would be a hopeless one. It would seal my fate forever as a slave. You know, we don't like the term slave in this society in which we live. It's a demeaning term. Brings to mind all sorts of terrible images. And yet the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, put that term in our text. So today, I'm sure there are people who find themselves in slavery to sin and who think about escaping to freedom in Christ. You probably have some similar fears. You may fear leaving behind your friends. You may fear you'll fail in your attempt to actually break free from sin and live free for God. I mean, who knows what you're thinking, but you should take heart from Douglas's experience. On September the 3rd, 1838, he remembers it this way. I left my chains and I succeeded in reaching New York without the slightest interruption of any kind. I've been frequently asked how I felt when I found myself in a free state. It was a moment of the highest excitement I ever experienced. I felt like one who had escaped a den of hungry lions. Last week, we looked at Romans chapter 6. We looked at the first 14 verses. They were quite difficult to understand, which is why I'd like to commend to you our podcast and encourage you to listen to the sermons on the podcast. If you miss a sermon, if you even hear a sermon and you think, I I don't really know if I got all of that, listen to it again. Because a lot of things that we talked about last week, yeah, you can understand them, but how do you practice them? And that's kind of what it is this week. Last week, we studied what it meant to be in union with Jesus Christ. This week, we're studying what it means to be in slavery, to be owned by another master, to be in slavery to righteousness through Jesus Christ. In verse 15, Paul asked this question, shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? This is really the same question that we saw in verse 1 last week of chapter 6. In other words... If we are saved by God's grace and not saved by keeping the Ten Commandments, then why should we bother with the Ten Commandments at all? Shouldn't we just continue in sin and live any way we choose? And Paul's answer is, by no means. Of course not. 
So when Paul says you are not under law, some people take this as a, a license to sin, as if you are no longer under any obligation whatsoever to keep the law of God. But I'm here to tell you the moral law of God has not been abrogated. It has not been done away with. Some believe that we pass from law to grace. The law is Moses. Grace is Jesus Christ. So we are free from the law. Is that what the Bible teaches? No. Lots of people get mixed up studying the Bible, thinking law is Old Testament. Grace is New Testament. Well... Law is a huge part of the Old Covenant, but gospel is a huge part of the New Covenant. And grace is not just New Testament. Grace is also throughout the Old and the New Testament. So the law is there long before the laws of Moses, and we receive the Ten Commandments through the laws of Moses. From the beginning of our sinfulness in Adam, which is in Genesis chapter 3, we have been under the awful burden of the law. Because the law condemns us. The law is what tells us we are sinners. The law is what reminds us that we can't keep the law. The law reveals our disobedience, which is why obedience to the law cannot possibly save us. We are debtors to the law, a debt that is so large we could never repay it, which is why we are in such desperate need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this morning, let's look at three lessons in our text, and I hope you'll follow along in your outline. The first lesson being the slavery principle. The slavery principle. Now, remember, Paul is writing to the Romans. He's writing to the Romans, and I want you to know as soon as he mentions slavery, he got their attention. He got their attention. It's estimated that the population of Rome in the first century was about one-third slaves. Think about that for a moment. The population of Rome in the first century, about one-third slaves. In fact, the slave population was so incredibly large that when someone suggested that slaves should wear some sort of distinctive clothing, bright minds overruled that idea because all it would succeed in doing would be to reveal the numerical strength of the slaves. So according to the experts, it's actually quite possible that more than half, imagine that, more than half of the Roman church either were or had been slaves. So when Paul wrote these words, every member of the Roman church, they knew exactly what he was talking about, which brings us to the first question in your outline, which is in verse 16. Look at verse 16 of the text. This is in chapter 6, verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves... You are slaves to the one that you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So, what was the standard of a slave? The standard of a slave was obedience. Once you have chosen your master, you have no more choice but to obey. This is true as a principle, whether you choose to yield yourself to sin, which ends in death, or whether you choose obedience, which ends in life or in righteousness. Remember, it was Jesus who reminded us, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon or money. But Paul hits on a profound difference in our text, and I hope you don't miss this difference in terms of the motivation behind our obedience as Christians Now that Christ is our master, if we're slaves of Christ, 
Look at verse 17 and 18 again. Verses 17 and 18 in the text. And this is Romans chapter 6. Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart. You have come to obey from your heart. The pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Paul is saying that when you heard and when you embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ, you obeyed from your heart. There's the difference. To be a slave to Christ is to obey from the heart. We don't choose righteousness. We don't choose to obey the Lord because we have to. But because we want to. See the difference? Frederick Douglass, he had no choice. He was a slave. He was owned by another. And his master was cruel. But you and I, we belong to one who is good. And who loves us. So that your slavery to sin began at birth. I mean, it's our natural inclination. But your slavery to God, to Christ, began when by God's grace... You obeyed from the heart the gospel and believed and trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. All right, that's the slavery principle. Now let's look at the development principle, which is lesson number two. The development principle. And Paul's point is each slavery, no matter what slavery we're talking about, each slavery develops. It develops. Neither one stands still. Look at verse 19. Paul talks about this this everyday illustration he wants to use. I'm using an example, he says in verse 19, from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. In other words, the result of the slavery to sin is this awful process of moral deterioration. You know, once you get involved in sin, it gets worse. It doesn't get better. It goes from bad to worse. He's saying that if you live in deliberate sin and uncleanness, it's obvious who your master is. It's also obvious, he says, where you're heading. You're heading down a road that's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. With Christ as your master, you're on the right road and you're going to get better and better. And with sin as your master, steadily worse. So which is it going to be? Kind of lays out a choice there. You know, years ago, and I've been doing this long enough that I, I've seen some of these trends come and go. Years ago, there was a teaching that became very popular. It was the teaching that there are what is called carnal Christians. It's almost like a, a separate category of Christians. That it's okay to profess faith in Jesus Christ, yet your life remains unchanged. Think about that for a moment. You profess that you're a Christian, but your life it has no, no, nothing whatsoever to do with what it means to be a Christian. So Paul is teaching in our text. He's saying, I'm ruling that out completely, by the way, as he makes it perfectly clear that all professing Christians who have unchanged lives are not Christians at all. Now, don't, don't lose me on that one. So if that is you, let me urge you to study the first five chapters of Romans that we've been studying this, this last year, which explain how a lost sinner can be reconciled to God. Then let me urge you to repent, to believe the gospel, to recognize that your only hope is in Jesus Christ, and make Christ your master. 
Make him your master, depending solely on his grace and strength to live for him. Verse 20, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. Notice the word Paul uses here is, you don't really hear it all that often, it's the word righteousness. You were free from the control of righteousness. R.C. Sproul used to like to say that today's Christian wants to be spiritual or pious or moral, but never righteous. Have you forgotten the words of Jesus in Matthew 6.33, where he said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added to you, all these things that you desire. They will be added to you according to the will of God. Jesus also said this, and this is one that always gave me a little pause, and I hope it gives you pause. Matthew 5, verse 20. Jesus said this, Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Gets my attention, especially when you start reading about the Pharisees and recognize, you know, these are the people that put Jesus to death. (laughs) You think, well, oh, they put him to death, so I'm good. I think I can beat that. Really? Don't be so sure. Take your Bible and turn to Luke 11, verse 42. Luke 11, verse 42. And then if you can use your hands and turn over to John 5, 39 and 40. John 5, I'm doing the same thing. John 5, 39 and 40. All right, listen to Luke eleven forty two. This is where Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious elite in Jesus' day. They were the spiritual leaders in Jesus' day. All right? And he constantly rebuked them. Here's what he says to them at this point in Luke eleven forty two. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs. But you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. In other words, they tithed. They actually tithed. Okay? These Pharisees gave a tenth of just about everything they had to God. How many Christians tithe? The last poll I saw was 4%. 4% of evangelical Christians tithe. And yet, 100% of those Pharisees tithe. So, how about reading the scriptures? Look at John 5, it's verses 39 and 40. 5, 39 and 40. And he says to them, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, Jesus says. Yet you refuse to come to me and have life. So, here's another question. The Pharisees read their Bibles diligently. They memorized the law. They used to carry around these these pockets, kind of like my microphone here. They had these pockets, these books that were kind of on their belts. And the, the wider their books were, the wider their phylacteries were, the more spiritual they were. That was how many laws they knew that they carried around. So everybody would see them. Okay, It was a prideful thing. Um, how many of you actually read your Bible? The Center for Bible Engagement recently did a study. They polled 40,000 people from age 8 to age 80. And they didn't actually think they'd find this, but they actually came upon a profound discovery. And the discovery was this, that if you engage in the Bible one time a week, 
One time a week, it has a negligible result in your life. One time a week. So that might be today. You're, you're engaging in the scriptures with me while I'm teaching you. All right. And then they said, for those that actually engaged in the Bible two times a week. Okay, that, that might be you coming on Wednesday night and you, you listen to me teach again. And there you are engaging in the Bible. Again, the study results showed that there was a negligible result. Almost nothing. Didn't affect those people at all. Then those that engaged in the Bible three times a week. Three times a week. There's a little blip on the, on the study results. A little blip showed it was a little bit of, of difference that it made. But the profound discovery that they made when they did this study was when someone will engage in Scripture four times a week. Four times a week. It comes off the charts. You see, we are people that easily forget what we read. And so if you're only engaging one time a week, you know what they say? They, and I've told you this before, that by the time Wednesday comes around, you have completely forgotten everything I've said this morning. Do you know how discouraging that is for a pastor who works so hard getting a sermon ready and you forget it by Wednesday completely? What, what did he talk about? What, what, what did he talk about? You, you've forgotten it. That's why they say one, two, three is, you know, almost nothing. But four times, if you'll engage in the scriptures four times a week, it will change your life. It will take away loneliness. It will take away struggles with sin. It's amazing what will happen if you will read your Bibles. And, you know, I, I was talking to the college students about the fact that we have, you know, the Bible on our phones now. And, and you've got the U Bible that you can listen to this wonderful voice. Read the Bible to you. So, hey. Use the Bible on your phone, whatever it is, but engage with Scripture so that you actually practice what it is to be a Christian. My point is, you're not going to make it to heaven on the basis of your righteousness anyway. I mean, you're not. You're only going to make it to heaven on the basis of faith alone in Christ alone and His righteousness. If your faith is genuine, though, the fruit of that faith will be real righteousness and holiness. Now, you won't always succeed in being righteous, but by God's grace, as a slave to Christ, you should succeed more than you fail. Now, again, the proof that you're truly a believer in Jesus Christ does not lie in your words, but it does lie in your life. And that's what the scriptures say. We will be judged based on our life and how we've lived. Now, sure, you will fall and you will fail, but you will not live with little or no regard for the law of God. Because once you belong to Christ, you have from the heart committed your life to Jesus Christ. And so, you know when you're doing something that's not right in the sight of God. And it bothers you if you had believed from the heart. The reason it doesn't bother you is because maybe you haven't believed from the heart. But if you believe from the heart, as Paul says in our text, it should bother you when you sin. And that should lead you to repentance and, of course, God's forgiveness. So we have the slavery principle. We have the development principle. And then thirdly and finally, the end principle. E-N-D. The end principle. And you know that old saying, the end justifies the means? Well, they've never been more on point than this point. Verse 22. Look in our text again. Romans chapter 6, verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, 
But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the point Paul is making is when you were slaves of sin, what return did you get from that? Wasn't very good, was it? I mean, when you were involved in sin and and you were sinning on a regular basis without any thought for it, it didn't get better in your life, did it? I, I doubt it. Scripture says it doesn't. And so to this question, there really is no answer. For slavery to sin yields no good return. And the end of those things, according to the Scripture, is death. On the other hand, Paul now says, you have become, if you've become from the heart slaves of Christ, the return you get is sanctification and its end, which is eternal life. Do you get it? I mean, it's a comparison thing here. The Word of God puts before you two completely different lives, lives which are totally opposed to one another. You have the life of the old self that we talked about last week, and you have the life of the new self. Again, it's not a perfect life. You're not perfect, but God, by His grace, is making you more like Him. And they're actually what Jesus calls the broad road and the narrow road. So, so which road are you on? Are you on the broad road, which leads to destruction or death? Or are you on the narrow road, which is not, as, not an easy road, but it leads to life? Paul calls them two slaveries. He says, by birth, and this is your blank, by birth we are slaves of sin. And then by grace, through faith, we become slaves of Christ and His righteousness. So the Christian's relationship to the law should be clear. The believer is free from the law in the sense that he does not have to keep the law to be saved. Yet he is not free from the law because he needs to keep it to prove that he or she is saved. Make sense? I mean, that's really what Scripture is saying. So, this is a tough pill to swallow. Which is why Paul gives us a second question in Romans 7, verse 1. Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? And so, here's this question. Paul asks us to imagine this married couple, and if one of, the, one of them becomes a partner to somebody else, then adultery has been committed. So, when does the law no longer bind them as husband and wife? The answer is very clear, right? It's when one of them dies. Death breaks the marriage bond and a person's relationship to the law. It ends the claim that the law has over a person. So listen to verse 4. So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to one another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. And that's the point of this passage in the first part of chapter 7. The moment you die to the law... You entered into another marriage. Another marriage. You're not free from obligation. You're under a different obligation. Previously, you were bound to a legal code which kept you in bondage. But now, you are married to the one who is the giver and the keeper of that code. And he enables you to live in glad obedience because of his love for you. Now, let's bring this whole slavery thing home as I wind it up here. The Greek word for slave is the word doulos. It's the word doulos. Now take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Doulos is the word that we see throughout Romans 6 and 7. Whenever Paul mentions slave, he mentions doulos. It's the Greek word doulos. All right? And guess what? As slaves of Christ, it's a different obligation. 
I don't want you in any way to walk out of here thinking, oh man, I have to, I have to obey the law. Oh great. No, 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 no. You, you get to. You, you get to. And because your master is not a tyrant. Your master is not evil. Your master is good. Your master is so good, he laid down his own life for you. He died on the cross for you. Out of love for you. So listen to John 15, verses 14 and 15. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples. And I want you to hear this as Jesus talking to you. Okay, John 15, 14 and 15. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, slaves. Because a servant or slave does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. So that a Christian keeps the moral law of God, not as some code that she or she has no affection for, but in the same way that a submissive wife yields to a loving husband whom she adores. It's a lot easier to submit to a husband who is loving, isn't it? Isn't it, ladies? To yield to the leadership of a husband who is loving? Well, Christ is our husband. He's your husband. He's your master. And yet he is good and loving. and He cares more about you than you could ever care about yourself. He laid down his life for you. And he doesn't call you a slave. He doesn't call you a servant. He calls you friends. And we are his friends if we do what he says. 1 John 5, 3 is our, is our verse of the week. And let's read this verse out loud together. It's underneath the outline. 1 John 5, 3. This is love for God to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. I want you to think about that for a moment. Love for God is to keep His commands. Do we fail in doing that? Absolutely. Is there forgiveness when we fail? Absolutely. Yes. But the thing you need to remember is, now that you belong to Christ, you belong to Him, He's your Master, His commands should not be burdensome. Because you know He loves you. And you want to please Him because of His love for you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, may we all be slaves of Christ. May we all love you as... We can't love you as much as you love us, so I can't even say that. But may we, by your grace, love you more. You love us so much that you laid down your life for us, Lord. And we hated you. And yet you loved us anyway. And now... Through the gospel being shared with us, many of us can say we believed. And we believed from the heart. And it changed us on the inside of us. You gave us a new heart. You gave us a new life. And so now we have a different identity. Yes, we're a slave, but not not like those other slaves that we've studied about, heard about. We're slaves of Christ. And you said, Lord, that we're friends of yours. Changes everything. Thank you for caring about us so much, for loving us so much that you laid down your life for us. And that by your grace, you enable us to have that new desire to be righteous. 
to serve you, to please you, to honor you. And Lord, we fail. And so I pray for your forgiveness for myself and for these people before me today, your, your people, your friends who seek to please you in their life every day, but fail oftentimes. Forgive them, Lord, and give them a renewed spirit of grace today. That as they leave the doors of this church sanctuary today, they will have a whole new thought about how to please you. Because you love them so much. Thank you, Lord. Tell us who we are today, Lord, before we leave. We're your friends. Remind us, remind us of this all during the week, Lord, that we might remind ourselves that we belong to you. And we are yours. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.